Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Um, the concept for this series was really born out of the fact of I really felt like the, the best thing that I could give you in this time where we are just in crazy, unprecedented times, the, the thing that you needed most was not a cool, pithy talk that would inspire you. It wasn't good self-help jargon to, you know, to help you become the best version of you dur- during this time. I really felt what you needed the most during this time was Jesus. Jesus, you know, you know last week I spoke about how, how Jesus, uh, Jesus made truth claims about himself. He, he, he called himself things, things like living water, the bread of life, the door to the Father, light of the world, the way, the good shepherd, and the resurrection life. And what Jesus was saying there about himself was essentially this, whatever your soul needs, he is what you are looking for and what your soul needs for sustenance and, and, to, and to give it purpose, hope, and life. And, and last week we talked about this invitation that Jesus gave us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he said, come unto me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, now, also last week we talked on about how you cannot escape the influence of Jesus, even if you tried. You can see Jesus's influence throughout art, literature, music, education, politics, history. You can see Jesus's influence in how kids and women are treated. And as I noted last week, even historians who don't believe that Jesus was God agree that he is the most influential person to ever walk on this planet. Even Time Magazine back in 2013 compiled a list of the most significant people to ever live based on a plethora of data variable points and guess who came in first? Jesus. Even, check this out, even the way you know how, how old you are is based on when Jesus lived and when Jesus died. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can see the influence of Jesus in, in our culture is the very tool that was used to kill Jesus, which is the cross. You think about the cross now. The cross is on shirts. The cross is on, uh, you know, housewarming gifts, necklaces, rings, uh, tats. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like we see a cross and we're like, oh man, this is, you know, it gives us warm and tingly feelings in, inside and the cross is just so, so cute. And really for us, the cross has become a symbol of hope, a symbol of love and a symbol of Redemption, And I don't think we, because we did not live in Jesus's time, I think sometimes we, we truly miss how crazy it is that the cross now is a symbol of hope because in Jesus's day, it was anything but a symbol of hope, redemption, love, and peace. John Ortberg, he says this, the cross has become 
the most widely recognized symbol in the world. It marks more graves, graces more jewelry, and sits atop more churches than any other design. Finding a logo has become big business, but no corporation, country, or cause has produced such an enduring or widespread image. The cross's ubiquity causes us to forget what a strange symbol it is. It was the most humiliating means of execution available to Rome. Imagine choosing an electric chair, gallows, or a guillotine as an icon for anything. It's crazy how the cross has become this symbol of hope. When, when honestly, in Jesus's day, it was a symbol of you better tighten up or this is what's going to happen to you if you go and you try to cross Rome. And, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, the Sunday before Easter on the church calendar is called Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday essentially uh, begins Jesus's journey to Good Friday and to the cross. And on the church calendar, this is always a special day, especially at our church. It is a time for us to look back on and reflect on the cross. You know, let's just be honest. Not many of us like to go back and think about and look at and dwell on how Jesus died. Because I think really, you know, whenever we, we think about it and we think back to the first time we saw, uh, who was that guy? Mel Gibson's The Passion. Uh, we were just struck at how incredibly painful and torturous uh, what Jesus went through with the cross. But honestly, I think it is so important that we have a set aside time in our, in, in our church calendar for the church to go back and dwell on the cross. Why? Because, you know, think about it. Even in our culture, we have days set aside for us to go back and dwell on certain things. Think, think, think about December 7th. That, that is the day that Pearl, that Pearl Harbor happened, right? We could think of D-Day, Veterans Day. These things are set up in our culture for us to, to look back and to do what? Remember the sacrifices that were paid for the freedoms that we have got now. And really, I think it is sincerely important for us to, to take today, to take Palm Sunday and look back and dwell on the cross and reflect on what Jesus went through, the sacrifice that Jesus paid so we can walk in the freedom that we now have in Christ. You know, I, I think personally, when I think about a cross and when I see the cross, I, what I am always made aware of is the fact that the thing is this, my sins put Jesus there. That I personally think about the fact that it, it was what I did, me in my rebellion, turning, turning from God, put Jesus there. And really one of the things that I think our culture has one, has just an incredibly difficult time coming to grips with is this word called sin. Because uh, I'm not sure if you've seen or noticed, but we, we live in a self-centered world. We have these terms out there, self-care, self-love, self-esteem, 
self-help. We are the generation that has created the term, the selfie, right? And here's the thing. When self is put at the center and is elevated to being divine, we end up saying things like, well, your truth is your truth and your truth is your truth. And it's like, and it's like really the only wrong thing that someone could do was say that someone else is wrong. And then it just becomes this whole like, well, who's right? Do we have, and the crazy thing is nature itself has laws. Think about it. There is called the law of gravity. Gravity does not care who you are. It is a law. It is what goes up must come down, right? Like it does not matter. And C.S. Lewis rightfully pointed out in his book, Mere Christianity, where he said, our nature has laws. So if there are laws, then there should be a law giver. How much more should there be moral laws and a moral lawgiver? And that's what I think our culture just has the hardest time saying is, is the fact of there is somebody beyond us that we have all done wrong to. And that's why I think our call, you know, uh, probably a couple months back, I was having a conversation with somebody in our church whose, whose spouse was just not being receptive to the gospel. And she said something to me that, man, that, that shook me, but also too, I just think really, really encapsulated the way that so many people see this thing. She said, I just don't think he has a concept of sin. And I was like, you are absolutely right. But I just don't think that the, that speaks about just this one person's spouse. I think that honestly, much of our world, it could be said about them. They do not have a concept because the self is at the center that possibly they have done wrong to somebody or something beyond them. But here's the thing. You will, we, us, we will never grasp the purpose and power of the cross if we don't realize that it was us that put him there. I love what John Stott said. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. I wanna say that one more time. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. And scripture is clear, y'all, that all have sinned. All of us have turned our backs on God. And, and sin, I say this a lot, is simply a churchy word for people doing what they think is best instead of what God thinks is best. And scripture says this, if you've done one thing wrong, you've done all of them wrong. If you've broken one law, you've broken them all. And what sin does and what we can see sin doing from the very beginning in Genesis is sin brings separation between God and people and people and people. And really what sin does is it, is it causes there to be a debt a debt to be paid. And we even have this terminology in our culture. Think about when somebody wrongs, wrongs you. What, what do you say and think? They owe me. They owe me. That person, wrong, they owe me. And then we say things like, I'm gonna pay them back. Because honestly, when there is wrongdoing, it creates a debt from one party to the other party. And we intrinsically Know that, and the thing is this, I believe if you boil the cross down, when you boil the point of the perfect Jesus dying for imperfect people, when you boil down a sinless Jesus dying for sinful people, when you boil down a blameless Jesus dying for blameful people, the cross 
paid a debt that you and I could not pay. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So the sinless one became sin for us because there was a debt that we could not pay. There was, there, were, there was no amount of good works that we could do to make ourselves righteous before God. So Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life that was even attested to by his, by his own brothers and sisters. He lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross in our place and for our sin. And that's what we are talking about today. And next week, we're, we're going to celebrate and talk about how Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death by rising again. But sin creates a debt. And let's just be honest, our country knows a lot about debt. I mean, good Lord, consumer debt, stats say consumer debt in this country is $13.6 trillion. We have a national debt uh, that, was, that was, whenever I checked this, $23 trillion, And with this whole $2 trillion stimulus plan, there's probably going to be an, another couple trillion added on. But here's the thing, the debt that we all feel, see, and know is not just a physical reality, it's also a spiritual reality. In, in John chapter 19, um, we actually see that, that the apostle John records one of the accounts of the crucifixion. And towards the very end of this crucifixion, John in, in, uh, in chapter 19 verses 28 through 30 says this. He says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of, of, of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head, gave up and gave up his spirit. The very last thing that Jesus said was, it is finished. And here's the thing. I want to dive in to, to this exact Greek word that Jesus used and said as the very last thing that he would say before, before he died, because there's such power in it. The Greek word that Jesus used was the Greek word tetelestai. Now I'm going to get a tad bit nerdy on you and give you um, some of the depth of what this word means. So please stick with me. Okay. Here, here, here's the thing. I sincerely believe this will change your life. All right. That word tetelestai is the perfect indicative passive tense of the, of the word telos, which, which means to end, to bring to completion, to bring to a conclusion, to complete, to accomplish, to fulfill, or to finish. Now, the perfect tense, which isn't used many times in the New Testament, is a combination of two Greek tenses, the present tense and the aorist tense. The aorist tense is punctiliar, meaning something that happens at a specific point in time the present tense is linear, meaning something that continues on into the future and has ongoing results and ongoing implications. You're like, John, you said some really 
deep words there that I have no idea what you said. Let me break it down to you, right? That word, tetelestai, is a combination of two words that, that is saying something at that moment of Jesus on the cross was completed. But what was completed and what was accomplished on the cross at that time has implications, ramifications into the future with, here's the thing, no end date. Here's the thing, Jesus said, it is finished. He was saying, the reason I came on this planet to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, my purpose is now complete. The sacrifice has been made. I have accomplished my purpose on this planet and now it is finished. But what I am doing isn't just for this very moment. What I am doing and accomplishing here is going to last and go into the future. So here's the thing, what does this personally mean for us? Your sins when Jesus died on the cross were paid for. But the thing is though, it was paid for past sins, present sins, and future sins. All sins for all time, for all people that repent of their sins, past, present, future, paid for. You should be shouting in your house right now. You should be throwing your phone in the air because your debt has been paid. God is not holding against you your rebellion. God is not holding against you your past. He's saying, I'm going to live a perfect life, die on the cross in your place and for your sin and, and pay the price and give you the benefit. Here's the thing, past, present, future sins paid for. In theological terms, the cross and what Jesus did is called the atonement. And, and the thing is, that's a pretty deep word. But at the same time, if you break that word down, at one mint was basically saying when Jesus died, the barrier was taken away. The sin, the sin separating us has been, has been paid for. You've probably heard, heard the terminology, the veil was torn essentially saying the barrier separating us from God and his presence, God and his goodness, God unveiled to us was sin and it was dealt with and, and, and taken. And now we are at one, at one mint with the God of heaven and earth. This is good news, friends. This is great news because now we have access despite what you feel, despite what you think, despite what you've done. Not because of what you've done or, or haven't done, but because of what Jesus did. We have access to God. Here's the thing though, how, how does, does this debt being paid affect us now? Because honestly, right, like here's the thing, right? we can kind of just, like, okay, Jesus died on the cross, great, but how does it actually personally in our lives every day affect us, this fact that our debt has been paid. Let me, let, let me challenge you with these thoughts. Because our sin debt has been paid, we should forgive others of their debt. Jesus even prayed this in, you know, whenever he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, pray this way, forgive others of their debt as you ask for forgiveness 
of your debt. And we know guys how this is, right? A lot of the brokenness we see in our world is simply people paying each other back. It's literally cycle. It's a cycle. They did this to me. I'm doing that to them. They did that to them. We're going to do that to them. And it's just this cycle of paying people back. The cross basically says the cycle should stop. We should stop paying, paying each other back because Jesus has already paid for sin. Let me say it this way. Stop making people pay for what Jesus already paid for. Stop making people pay for sins that Jesus has already paid for. I say this whenever I do weddings. One of the things that I'll typically say is I'll have the bride and groom stand in there and I'll say, Corey, you're going to sin against Jessica. And everyone in the crowd is always like, yep. And then, and then I'll say, Jessica, you're going to sin against Corey. And everyone's like, yep. Ha, ha. And, and I'll say this, if Jesus isn't at the center of your relationship, you will make each other pay for when each of you sins against each other. But if Jesus is at the center of your relationship, you will put the sin where it should go, on Jesus. Because Jesus already died for it. He already paid for it. And instead of making each other pay, you'll give your sin to where sin should go. And that is on Jesus. And instead of making people pay, you'll put it on him because Jesus already paid for it. And that sin will keep you uh, or, or, or that, that sin that separates will be gone and you can love each other and you can forgive each other in the same way that God has forgiven you. But also too, right? Here's, here's the thing, right? Because our sin debt has, has been paid, we should love God passionately. I love Luke 7, this one story. A sinful woman, it, it actually says a sinful woman comes in um, to where Jesus is sitting with some of the religious elites of his day. And this woman comes in crying and she's just hysterical. And she goes at Jesus's feet and she starts crying tears on Jesus's feet. And she starts wiping Jesus's feet with her tears. And it's, it's, just, this, it's just this incredible moment. And the religious elite of that day, they were all like, I mean, if Jesus knew who was here, he would know this is a sinful woman and he would tell her to just get the heck out. Right? But at the same time, Jesus, Jesus goes, hey, uh, you know, he calls over Peter. He's like, Peter, do you see this here? And he's like, yeah. He says this, let me tell you a, a story. If somebody, if, if somebody owes you $50 and somebody, and it's, and somebody owes you $7,000 and you forgive both of those debts, who is going to be more ecstatic, happier, and, and love you more? And Peter, he answered wisely. He said, well, probably the person who, who, you know, who was forgiven $7,000. And Jesus was like, exactly. And the thing is, Jesus said to the religious elite of his day, he said, look, I've been here the whole time and y'all ain't done nothing for me. But, but this sinful woman who came in here, she's been wiping her feet or she, she's been wiping my feet with her tears. She hasn't stopped crying since I've been here. She, she has... She has shown her love for me. And what I love Jesus says, he says this powerful statement. He says, he who has been forgiven of little loves little, but he who has been forgiven of much loves much. And, and 
I think that is so important for us because honestly, if we don't realize what debt has been paid for us, I don't think we will, we will love God as passionately. We, will, we, we, we won't love God as sacrificially. If we don't understand, there was a debt we could not pay that Jesus paid for us. And Jesus was using this sinful woman as an example to say, she understood what she was forgiven of. She understood. And because she understood what she was forgiven from, she didn't care that she came in and made a fool of herself. She didn't care because her love for God overtook every, every fear, every whatever to say, I know what I've been forgiven of. And here's the thing. Could it be our lack of love, passion, zeal, and commitment to Jesus is directly related to our lack of revelation of what debt has been paid? And my prayer today is, 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 that God, is that God through the Holy Spirit would reveal to you freshly and fresh again the debt that has been paid on your behalf. And in response, you'd say, God, I'm all in. Lastly, because our sin debt has been paid, we should live differently. I love Philippians 1.27. Paul says this, live lives worthy of the gospel. He says, live lives worthy, essentially saying, because of the gospel, like understand your worth. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this, that, 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 that um, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with, with your body. Essentially saying, if you understood what the price that God paid for you, you would see yourself that, that way and you would live a life worthy of the calling and the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you realize the price that the Jesus paid, it should give you, and really, I hate using this terminology, but self-worth. Like you should realize like how much God loves you. And in response to that, not settle for second best, not settle for ordinary living, but say, I have been bought at a price. I want to give God all of me. One of, one of my favorite YouTube shows is a guy named Dave Ramsey. He's this bald Tennessee guy, talks, talks real country, you know, talks like this. But his whole goal is to get people financially right. He wants to get people out of debt and he wants to, to get them on solid financial footing so they can live like no one else, right? Um, and so, man, his radio show is funny. So look, if, if you've got financial debt and you're in this big, big hole financially, look up Dave Ramsey and do whatever Dave Ramsey says. All right, but here's the thing, right? In his show, uh, I think every single week, he brings people, he flies people in and brings them on his show, people that have gotten out of incredible financial debt. I mean, you got people that are like 50, 60 grand in debt. You got, I mean, there was this one story. They paid off $330,000 in debt in four years. I mean, just incredible, like an incredible get out of debt stories. And what, and, and the very reason he brings them here to this show is because people that get out of, of debt, he has them come and do a debt-free scream where basically they come up, they tell their story, and then they, you know, they've got everybody counting down. They've got Dave's countdown, the kids' countdown, the audience's countdown, and they're like, one, two, 
three, we're debt free. I mean, and, and it's like everyone goes crazy. Everyone like goes absolutely insane. And so here's something, right? I want to actually show you this. Check this out. $105,000 paid off in four years, making $75,000 a year by the time she's 30 years old, by the time he's 30 years old. Count it down. Let's hear a great debt-free scream. Three, two, one. We're debt-free! $60,000 paid off, house and everything, in 22 months. Let's hear a debt-free scream. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. We're debt-free! $64,000 paid off. 44 months. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, one. $394,000 paid off, 160 of that cash flow, 245 of it the house. He did it in 18 months working on the oil field, threes and ones. $150,000 a year income. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free <coughs> scream. <coughs> Three, two, one. I'm debt-free! $32,000 paid off in 12 months, making 60 to 80. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Are you ready to scream? Want to scream? All right. One, two, three. We're debt-free! $262,000 paid off in 15 months. That's the house and everything. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, one. Craig, we're debt-free. $206,000 paid off in 44 months, making 145. Now at halftime and now finishing up his retirement. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream, Andy. Sherry, this one's for you. We're debt-free. <laughs> I love it. $220,000 paid off in four years, making one hundred and thirty now $148,000. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. One, two, three. I'm debt-free. <laughs> $16,500 paid off in 16 months. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, three. One, I'm dead free! <laughs> yeah! $42,000 paid off in 24 months, making 50 to 68. Oh, and the little side job that makes 75K. So count it down. Let's hear a debt free scream. Three, two, one. I'm dead free! And the crowd in the lobby goes wild. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, you got these people, they've been probably in debt their whole life. And then they felt the freedom of being able to express and show the fact that they don't have any more 
financial day? Did you see the passion in their yells, in their screams, in their body language? And, you know, I'm really happy for them that, that they are financially debt-free, but it also got me thinking, like, are we that excited and that grateful for the fact that our spiritual debt has been paid? That we are now debt-free. That our sins are not held against us. That what Jesus did on the cross, it, it, it was there at that moment that goes into the future, our past, present, and future sins paid for, debt paid, barrier gone, access with God. And I mean, honestly, we should, you know, we should all right now in our homes just do a debt-free scream. I'm just kidding. That'd be a tad bit weird. But here, here's, the, here's the thing, guys. Like, as excited as they were, why, how, I just think that we should be that excited. Here's the thing, y'all. My prayer today in closing is that you would know your debt has been paid. And in response to your debt being paid, you would live a life of passion. You would live a life of devotion. You would live a life where you stop making people pay for what Jesus has already paid for. That you in response would live a life worthy of the calling and worthy of the price that Jesus paid for you. That you would not settle for lower level living. That you would, that you would rise up and say, in light of what Jesus paid for me, I wanna give my life to him fully. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.